0: feels like our emotional brain is like the real world and then like our rational brain is the PR department that just like tries to explain <laughs> what happened here
1: we could look at it it's that like, way no no
0: this was a very strategic decision that this human being has <laughs> just course. made here
1: And welcome to Bad Decisions.
0: The show that helps us understand why we choose what we choose.
1: Why we think what we think.
0: And how to exploit this stuff for fun and commercial gain. I'm Dan Monheit, co-founder of Heart Hat, a creative agency built for today.
1: And I'm Dr. Mel Weinberg. I'm a performance psychologist.
0: A performance psychologist who loves this track.
1: Loves this track. Play the track. Welcome back. Like. Well, welcome back to us really yeah
0: it's been it's been a minute
1: it's been a little while we've been doing some things yeah some
0: conferences
1: yeah it's
0: good to be back in the booth all
1: right so we're bringing things back with a heuristic that is actually named after somebody have we done one of these yet
0: i think this is our first
1: we've actually the heuristic actually has not person attributed to this
0: yeah so maybe if we take if we take people behind the scenes yeah we did a little bit of research what are, what are the heuristics we want to talk about in the next few episodes and, like, this one just stood out like like dog's balls.
1: Like, before I even knew what it was, I was like, this is the heuristic we're doing yeah. today.
0: Yeah, and what's the heuristic we're doing today?
1: It is... Da, 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 the Benjamin Franklin Effect. The
0: Benjamin Franklin Effect. Yeah.
1: All
0: about the
1: baby. Uh. Yeah. Dan, who's Benjamin Franklin? Yeah,
0: because this is what I was thinking too. Like, I mainly know Benjamin Franklin from... It's all about the Benjamin's baby, right? So it's like, this guy... This guy gets to have his face on the $100 bill of the U.S. currency, like basically global currency, right? And as if that was not a great enough accolade, he also gets his own heuristic named after him. And I was thinking, this guy must be pretty seriously talented. and I was ready to be disappointed
1: because, like, that's how you know you've made it, right? Once you get a heuristic named yeah. after you, you are what, set. What
0: heuristic? But there's only one hundred dollar bill. Like that job only goes to one person. Yeah, and but he
1: got a heuristic named there's after him. There's rap Surely songs. There
0: are rap songs. Anyway, so I was like, you know what? I'm definitely going to be hating on this guy. I'm going to go do some research because there is nobody that d- deserves to be on a hundred dollar bill and have a heuristic named after them. But if there was, I admit it was <laughs> Benjamin Franklin. So this guy is basically just a freak. Uh, he, he was born one of what, like 17 children, very poor family, very miserable upbringing, not great prospect at life. And you know what, I was going to try and paraphrase this off Wikipedia, but look, they've done a pretty good job here. And we just <laughs> rattle this off, right? So... He was an American polymath, which, you know, for those of you who aren't familiar with the term polymath, I mean, that's basically somebody who is exceptionally uh, knowledgeable about many, many areas. So that's a pretty good start. One day
1: I want to be a polymath. Yeah,
0: I'd just be happy to be a unimath, like just to know a lot about one thing. Um, One of the founding fathers of the United States, yeah, good for him, he was a leading author, printer. Political theorist, politician, Freemason, postmaster, scientist, inventor, humorist, civic activist, statesman, and diplomat.
1: What have you done in your life? <laughs> yeah,
0: well, he didn't have a podcast, I can tell you that much. <laughs> though he did basically help commercialize electricity, which means that we can have podcasts. Mm, what you if he, well, as a scientist, he was a major figure in the American Enlightenment and the history of physics, and look, basically, the guy just invented everything and did everything. So you know what? He deserves a hundred dollar bill. Good on you, Benny boy.
1: Well done. But well, um, bringing us to the heuristic. Yes. Like, here's the thing: for all the wonderful things he did, there was this one asshole who just didn't like him.
0: Yeah, he had like a hate. I mean, look, everyone's got haters.
1: Everyone's got haters. We've got
0: haters. Like, Kanye's got haters. Yeah. Benny Boy Franklin had haters.
1: (laughs) He had this hater, right? And he actually realised that at some point he was going to maybe need this hater to be on his side. And so he thought, I need to figure out a way to actually get this hater to like me. Yeah. right. He was known for having a way with people and understanding sort of the way that people work.
0: Yeah, apparently, like, for all of his accolades, he was also, like, an extremely gifted uh Interactor,
1: interactor, <laughs> interactor.
0: He was like a really, <laughs> he was, a really, good, he good was really good with people. And I'm gonna say, like, you go look at the photos of him. Like, he is not the most handsome guy in the world. Like, full respect for the the bald on the top, mullet at the back. Uh, but man, he had a way with words and probably and away with people, away with people.
1: So what he could have done was he could have gone to this hater and said, um, you know, offered to do something nice for him right, or been like giving him a compliment, flattered him, said you're awesome, like I actually want to be friends with you. But that's not what he did. He went about it in a more subtle and indirect way. What he decided to do was to ask this – he wrote a letter to this hater and he said – Listen, mate, which I'm sure is the way that he said it. Yeah. Um, and we sound like the two most naive Australian podcasters when no, we're talking no, about no, US this, history. This but this anyway, <laughs> he said, listen, mate, nah. look, there's, <laughs> <Nah>. <laughs> there's there's a book in your library that, that I understand is really rare and it's actually really hard to get. And I know that you've got it. Look, could you do me a favour? Is there any chance that, that you could let me borrow that book?
0: Yeah, so let's get this right. So this guy dislikes Benjamin Franklin. Yeah. Benjamin Franklin asked, has the audacity to ask this man for a favour of the loan of an extremely rare book from his personal library. And how does the man respond?
1: Well, how would you think he responds? He says, wow, oh, Benjamin Franklin wants to borrow my book? Yeah. Wow, well, I've got something that he needs. I'm going to wrap it up really nicely, put a bow on the top and send it by horse and carriage to Mr. Benjamin Franklin.
0: Right. And then what happened?
1: The hater, who will be known as the hater in this story, ac- sent it. He sent it. doesn't
0: even get named. No,
1: we don't no. even know who he was. Hater. But but he sent the book, mm-hmm. right? And Benjamin Franklin, who knows whether or not he read the book, but he returned it about a week later and when he returned it, he wrote a note saying, thank you so much. That was so lovely of you. Wow. I really appreciate it.
0: Yeah. Wow. What a dreamy guy.
1: And, and then what happened was the next time that they actually met in person, the hater, who had never spoken a word to Benjamin Franklin in the – in the past, or never a kind word at least, all of a sudden wanted to be his best friend. What do you know? He came over, he spoke to him, and from then on uh, they were they were the best of friends. It's a beautiful story of friendship and Through a little deceit, bit of deceit. deceit yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so, I mean, this is this is weird, right? Because what the Benjamin Franklin effect basically tells us is that if you want somebody to like you, rather than doing something nice for them, you are far better of asking them to do something nice for you.
1: Yeah. Um, hey, Dan, on that note, could you do me a favor?
0: No. Yes. Wait, <laughs> am I being played here? Wait.
1: <laughs> can, can you explain to me a little bit more why this happens?
0: Yeah. So we've sort of been digging around because this, this does seem really weird because we would like to think, because I think in a certain way, I act in accordance with that. But this would suggest that it, it's actually maybe even completely backwards that because I've acted in that way, that changes how I feel about something.
1: Yeah, so we see this. There's obviously some research that of I'm going to talk research. about. Do we, have, do
0: we have research music?
1: We have research music. Play the research music. So, okay, of course in, in – oh, Whenever these heuristics come into play, they're in situations of uncertainty, okay? Mm -hmm. So there has to be some element of uncertainty, and in this case, it's the uncertainty around the intentions of the other person, Right. okay? So let's remember that, and while I tell you about the research... So the research for this is actually pretty old in research terms. It, it dates back to nineteen sixty nine. Summer of
0: sixty nine. The summer of sixty nine when all good about, <laughs> <laughs> about this research.
1: when um when all is good researchers was happening. Like someone, all the cool people yeah. in that time were really doing research.
0: Yeah. Other people and had some guys from school and they started yeah. a band and tried real hard.
1: Anyway, yeah. Jekka and Landy yeah. <laughs> were two researchers. Not who, in the band. Not in not in the band. They were actually the cool guys doing the research. Uh-huh. And, uh, and they set up this study where they had three different groups. They were given some menial task. It doesn't actually matter what the participants were doing as part of the experiment. But there was an experimenter involved to explain the nature of the study to all three groups. At the end of this study, um, like on their way out, that's where the experiences of the groups differ. So on the way out, one of the groups is basically asked by the experimenter to to do them, to do them a favour the experimenter says look we've just had um you know we're having some trouble in terms of the the funding for the department and um, and I know you were just given 20 bucks or whatever it was to participate in this study but I'd really appreciate it like, if you if you'd consider donating it back to to the department
0: so I know you kind of glossed over it but like what did they do that they got paid 20 bucks for just loosely like you said it was a menial task or you Yeah it was just it? like
1: something boring like they are either just like Turning things on a wheel or sorting cards. It doesn't actually matter what they're doing. For
0: an hour. Yeah. Scientists are cruel. cruel people. <laughs> but that's just, just t- that was just, it wasn't the point. Turn these wheels for one hour. <laughs> just just be this monkey for us. Yeah, seriously. All right. So I, think, been, I
1: feel like we have talked about way less ethical forms of research, though, that yeah, well, scientists have conducted. There were no so. anal probes
0: in this one. That's a good,
1: <laughs> good start. <laughs> good start. So so that's the first group, right? They're asked on the way out um, by the experimenter to donate that 20 bucks to the, the poor lab. Right. right
0: couldn't even <laughs> afford interesting tasks for you to do we all we could afford was wooden wheels <laughs> yeah. the
1: the second group on their way out um they're coming to contact with the receptionist of this lab and uh, and the receptionist asked them on the way out look um you know would you mind donating um, back your money or could you do us a favor could you donate the money um back to us the cheek yeah and um and the third the third group uh just left with their money. They weren't mm-hmm. asked to donate it at all. So the the thing is, and the thing they were actually measuring was a post-study questionnaire of how much they liked the experimenter. Right. And that not was the like receptionist. a dependent variable. She she was like not the receptionist. Decoy. Yeah. yeah. She, she's uh, she, she's just there. We're assuming that she was a female as mm-hmm. well. But anyway.
0: 1969, let's be honest.
1: So what happens is they actually measure the liking for the experiment the for the experimenter. And what they found was that that middle group who were asked by the receptionist to donate the money at the end, they had the least amount of like for the experimenter overall, okay? They were just mm-hmm. like, don't, don't really feel much for this experimenter at all. Interestingly, the group who, had, who reported that they liked the experimenter the most were the group who actually asked by the experimenter to return the money that they had what? been given. And so, again, this speaks to just this idea of like this is weird, right? This experimenter has just asked them to return the money that they had been given and that makes them like him more.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's weird, right? It feels like you should just go and asking people for shit and making friends. Yeah, um,
1: this is my new way of making yeah, friends. Yeah. Hey, everybody, could you all do, me a, do favor? me a favor? If if you do it, you're my new friend.
0: Yeah. So in thinking about like how this kind of works, and I know this is probably the bit that you would normally do because it's kind of sciencey, but I I found this interesting that you know there's this notion of cognitive dissonance, which we've spoken about in previous episodes, mm-hmm. which is just what fancy people call confused, mm-hmm. and like it's it's this idea that we think to ourselves. I did something nice for this person, and I only do nice things for people that I like. I can't take back the thing that I've just done, so therefore I must like this person.
1: You must. I must. There's no other There's reason why you would do it. The only
0: logical explanation for why I just did something For someone I didn't like and now I like them more.
1: Yeah. So this is what happens when we do things when we're in conditions of uncertainty, right? We've talked about how our emotional brain acts in times of uncertainty and then like our rational brain kicks in after the fact and is like, hang on a second, what did we just do and why did we do that? Oh, because I like them. Right. I I get it.
0: I don't know if like we've spoken about it like this before, but it feels like our emotional brain is like the real world. And then, like, our rational brain is the PR department that just, like, tries to explain what happened here. <laughs> we could look at it it's that way. like, no, no, this was a very strategic decision that this human being has just course. made here. Okay, so this is weird. Right, so I want somebody to like me who doesn't like me. I ask them to do me a favor. They do me a favor. Now they like me for can we? Now they like me more than they did before.
1: So they like you, and they've done you a favor, and it's they've like done you've, me a favor. You've I'm won twice.
0: Totally winning. <laughs> um, can we like unpack this a little bit, like maybe from a psych perspective? Why? Why would this work?
1: Yeah, so we can think about it from the perspective of the person who's asked to do the favor. Right? Mm-hmm. The person who doesn't like you, like what's wrong with them for a start? For a start. But, yeah. um, but they're asked to do you a favour and what happens, what's their experience like? What's happening for them is that they're getting, when you ask somebody to do you a favour, you're actually suggesting to them, hey, actually, you've got something that I need, like Ben Franklin was doing at yeah. the start. You've got something that I need, um, which puts you as the favour asker in a position of vulnerability, mm-hmm. right? You're saying I'm actually vulnerable because I actually don't have it all. Yeah. Right? I'm a, I'm a really cool person. I've got a lot of things going for me. There are a lot of reasons to like me, but you know what? You have something that I need.
0: Yeah. So Benjamin Franklin doesn't have the rare book and the researcher doesn't have the 20 bucks.
1: That's right. Yeah. Um, and so there's something that you need. And typically in these situations, it operates when there's a – Um, there's an imbalance in power, Mm -hmm. okay? So the experimenter is obviously in a position of power over the people in the experiment, over the
0: participants.
1: That's just the way it works. And Um, and
0: Benjamin Franklin was probably in a position of power over this random hater because he was already quite powerful by that point. Yeah, Yeah.
1: Yeah. so this is all about addressing the power imbalance and actually evening it out. So Mm -hmm. the person who's on the other side, the participant is usually the one who feels vulnerable. Mm -hmm. right and what happens is that when the experimenter shows vulnerability all of a sudden they've got something in common right all of a sudden they've got something that they understand and all of a sudden there's a basis for them to form a trusting relationship going forward right so it's all about evening up that power balance
0: i guess the the second half of it is so number one the person has showed some vulnerability but i feel like there's also like a kind of subverted compliment or like an acknowledgement of expertise so like not only am i showing you that i'm vulnerable but i'm asking you to help me with something that you clearly know about. about so it's like yeah i'm like, objectively i'm asking you for a favor but really what i'm doing is i'm saying hey you know something that i respect and could you share that knowledge with me so if we think about asking a colleague to proofread something before it goes off to a client right? You are objectively asking them a favour, but in a backhand kind of way, you're acknowledging that they have some value to contribute or some expertise that you would like to tap into.
1: It seems so deceitful when you think of it like that. Like The person who asks the favour gets that person to like them and also gets the favour done for them. It seems like there's a clear winner in the situation, but the other person thinks they're winning.
0: Yeah. What we've concluded today is doing favours for people is a losing man strategy, (laughs) losing person strategy.
1: But it's also the basis of functioning communities <laughs> yes. and we actually need to have those interactions in order to build what we call social capital and to build trust.
0: Yes. Yeah. Because what well, trust is built on vulnerability.
1: Well, in order for somebody, for, for a trusting relationship to ensue, somebody at some instance has to start off by taking a back seat and showing vulnerability. Somebody yeah. has to say, I'm vulnerable. I need something. Can you help?
0: Yeah, I mean, interestingly, thinking about in a in a pitching situation when you walk into pitch, you know, to a prospective new client, the prospective client has all of the power. Really, like they're basically there to judge. It's kind of if you've never if if you've never pitched for anything in your life before, it's like basically like going on some terrible reality TV talent show. We have a panel of judges, and then you know hopefully <laughs> now you're, you're talking about language, <laughs> yeah. Um, and like one an interesting strategy I read about for a pitch, which to be honest I've never executed before, is to open the pitch with the reasons why the client should not pick you. Mm -hmm. which are obviously going to be things that you're going to fix up later in the presentation. But if you start on the front foot by showing a vulnerability, where if you say, look, if what you guys are looking for is the agency that has um, delivered, you know, more aged care campaigns than anybody else in the country, we are definitely not the guys, Mm -hmm. you know? So you sort of declare your vulnerability first and um, maybe that forms the basis of a Trusting relationship.
1: I mean, if you've looked at any TED Talk, that's why they're effective. They all (laughs) start with a story. They all start by offering vulnerability. A story about
0: my childhood. Of
1: course, because you think that the person who's up there giving the TED Talk is is an expert that's why they're there right. right you think that they know way more about whatever it is they're going to talk about than you do and hopefully they do if they're standing up there but the first thing that you do the script for a ted talk is tell your personal story make yourself vulnerable to the audience first yeah reel them in yeah. and then hit them with what you actually are an expert in
0: i'm going pantsless. Next
1: pitch.
0: <laughs> you want to see vulnerability people
1: so um so when you talk about how it works with your clients like it makes me think of the way that i work in practice as well. So if you think about a client therapist relationship, there's a clear power imbalance there, right? Like a client comes in feeling pretty vulnerable and feeling like the therapist is there to solve all of their problems and has all the knowledge and expertise in order to do that effectively. One of the most important things that you can do as a therapist in order to build rapport is to become vulnerable to the client, to sort of balance out that power by actually saying you know what you're actually the expert in your life or in whatever it is that you're doing can you tell me a little bit about that so I work a lot with athletes right Mm -hmm. from all different sports and I like to think of myself as a pretty sporty person but there are some pretty weird sports out there like oh unique and, and you know and every sport has its own little culture and psychology and nature attached to it and I do not claim in any way to understand all of that so one of the tools that I can use is to actually and Of course, I'm actually genuinely interested, but by actually asking the client to explain their sport to me or explain the technicalities or talk to me about that, they actually have the opportunity to feel empowered and feel emboldened and actually feel like they're actually not as vulnerable or that they have something that they can teach me. And hopefully they like me and they come back for more.
0: (laughs) Uh, also, probably a better strategy than you going pounceless because that's not <laughs> It doesn't, doesn't not, really work so not, well. Not well. <laughs> not I don't know how it's going to work for me either, but <laughs> one of us should try it before next episode.
1: I'm pretty sure there's some ethics against that.
0: Yeah. So a lot of this is about, like, human-to-human interaction and... You know, with human-to-human interaction, it's important that things seem genuine. Like, we're not just asking for favours just for the sake of asking for favours. That The favours actually show some level of insight into something people could help us with, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, the whole thing totally backfires if it seems disingenuous.
0: Yeah, like, the fact that Benjamin Franklin knew this guy had this book in his library definitely played into the whole effect. Um, Wasn't just, like, a random request for a Peanuts comic or something like that. Yeah. And I think... While that's kind of natural in a human-to-human relationship, when brands want to get involved with this and, like, brands want to ask favors of people to get them to like the brand more, um, there's really automated versions of this. Mm. So, like, if you imagine you've just bought something off Amazon and you get an email three days later saying, please rate your experience. Yeah. It's kind of it's – they're asking you a favor, but it feels kind of –
1: it doesn't well, it I know why they're asking me a favour. It's because I've obviously just made a purchase. Yeah. And they don't really care about me. They're actually doing it because they want their feedback because they've got some ratings that they need to Yeah, you know,
0: whereas to meet. you can imagine, and obviously this is maybe not practical for every brand, but you could imagine if instead of doing that somebody from Amazon called you and they're like, Hey Dr. Mel, we just noticed you've bought like a fourth psychology book mm. and we're really interested in trying to improve our psychology offering. Could you just spare a few thoughts a few moments to give us your thoughts? On what we could do to improve our collection of psychology books on Amazon.
1: Oh, you want my expertise now yeah, to yeah. help you? Yeah, oh, that, well, of course. That, that's a failure. That's a favor <laughs> we'd like to ask
0: you. Would that be okay with you? Oh, of
1: course. Yeah. I'd love to help. And
0: you could just imagine how good you would feel about Amazon as a brand after that.
1: Well, I really like them because they actually valued my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Which is nice.
0: And like we see this client agency world as well where, um, you know, somebody senior from a client might call me to ask how their team is going. And if we go back to our, you know, things about showing vulnerability and acknowledging expertise, like when a senior client asks me how their team's going, that does acknowledge vulnerability. It says, hey, I'm not really across all the details of everything. And hey, you have some expertise because you're seeing how my guys are going and you're smart enough to know when guys are going well and not going well. And of course, I feel like completely in love with clients that do that. Mm. They want my opinion is great. Yeah. Yeah. All right, what do you reckon? Is that a wrap for Big Bad Benjamin Franklin
1: <laughs> I, I think we've done it.
0: All right, so what's the moral of the story?
1: If you want someone to like you... Ask them to do you a favor and also recognize, and this is something important, just as a little side note, there is strength in vulnerability, right? We often think that the things that attract us to people are strength when actually what attracts us to people is their vulnerability.
0: Ooh, that's deep. We're going to yeah, end it on that?
1: I think we should. All right,
0: why don't we do our social media handles?
1: Okay, you can find me on Twitter, yeah. Instagram, LinkedIn, whatever, at Dr. Mel W.
0: Yeah, and you can find me at Dan Monheit, uh, like just generally on the internet, type it into Google. I'll be there somewhere.
1: <laughs> You'll find Cool. And when you do, ask him to do you a favour.
0: Yeah, I'd be happy to.
1: See ya.